Welcome back, everyone, to new and old listeners alike. This is Matt Sewell. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 17 of the PopeCast, the podcast about popes for those who like history but aren't real crazy about history books. This week's pope is defined by two words, Charlemagne and iconoclasm. And no, I'm not talking about the Trump Twitter kind of iconoclasm. This pope reigned for almost a quarter century, the longest papacy, not counting St. Peter, in the history of the church for almost 1,800 years. This week on the PopeCast, it's the 94th successor of St. Peter, the Pope who was BFFs with Charlemagne, Adrian I. Pope Adrian I was born to a family of Rome's military aristocracy around the year 700 AD. Sadly, he was left orphaned in childhood, but was taken in and raised by his uncle Theodotus, who as a duke of the Eternal City was both well-respected and plugged in enough to springboard Adrian into service of the church. Before being elected pope himself, Adrian served under the two men who preceded him immediately, Paul I from 757 to 767 and Stephen III from 768 to 772. He's described by the historian Eamon Duffy as being, by the time he was granted the papacy, quote, a tough-minded and devout aristocrat, renowned as a preacher and with a highly successful career in the papal administration behind him, end quote. By the time of Adrian's election in 772, the Western world had two chief powers in the Christian realm, the Lombards and the Franks. The Islamic Saracens held much of the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal, and in the East, the Byzantine Empire existed in name only and held no real power on the world scene. On the theological front, meanwhile, the iconoclast heresy was reaching a fever pitch, but more on that in a bit. The popes always distrusted the Lombards, despite them always proclaiming overt allegiance to the church and the papacy, and as a result, frequently looked to the Eastern Empire for help in these days. When none was able to be found, starting around the time Adrian ascended to the chair of St. Peter, he began to look for help in the Franks, led by the legendary Charlemagne. Anyway, the four years prior to Adrian's election set the stage well. Charlemagne's dad, Pepin the Short, yes, that's really what he was known as, died in 768 and left his vast kingdom to Charlemagne and his brother, Carloman. Their relationship was, to put it lightly, a tad strained. It was all a soap opera, basically. Okay, so let's see if we can keep this straight. Following dad's death, each brother had their own portion of kingdom to rule. In 770, Charlemagne married a daughter of the Lombard king, Desiderius. His other daughter had just married the Duke of Bavaria, and that marriage meant that Carloman's territory was now surrounded by dear old brother Charlemagne and his allies. Less than a year later, Charlemagne, for whatever reason, ditched wife number one and married Hildegard, the daughter of a count who owned a bunch of land in Carloman's territory. Of course, the spurned lover returned to her dad's kingdom and re relayed the sad story, which seems to have resulted in an alliance forming between Desiderius and Carloman. Just in time for Adrian to be elected, of course. So Carloman died three months before Adrian's election, December of 771. So Charlemagne seized his brother's territory, because of course he did. Desiderius, making good on his alliance, sped to Rome and fed a bunch of BS to Adrian to try and convince him to confer Carloman's portion of the kingdom on the late ruler's sons. That seemed to take a while and ultimately failed because Adrian knew Desiderius was full of it, basically, and because despite the Lombards' assumptions otherwise, Adrian still had plenty of friends in high places to help fight his battles. Remember, military aristocracy in Rome. 
See, Desiderius' loyal foot soldier and likely Richard Rich lookalike, Paul Afiarta, had been trying to play puppet with Pope Stephen III at the Lombard King's demanding for basically Stephen's whole papacy, ultimately ascending himself to governing Rome by 772. He either imprisoned, exiled, or had killed anybody who opposed his ambitions. But all that changed. On February 1st, 772, Adrian rose to power thanks to a unanimous acclaim by the Roman clergy and faithful, such an outpouring of support that Paul and his boss were powerless to oppose it. Adrian got straight to work dismantling every ounce of Paul's influence and, by extension, more or less flipping a double bird at Desiderius in the process. And that move singled an obvious no to Desiderius' request to honor Carloman's sons. And so in 773, the Lombard king took advantage of Charlemagne being occupied on the other side of the Alps and besieged Rome, seeking to conquer all of Italy for himself. Charlemagne, though, after a couple of requests by Adrian, marched across the Alps and came to the Pope's aid, not only conquering the Lombard capital of Pavia, but abolished the Lombard kingdom itself, and, in what could be argued as a bit of a bro move, added King of the Lombards to his title for good measure. Maybe a little much. I can almost imagine the scene, though. Adrian sends Charlemagne into battle. Charlemagne wins, and then comes charging back into Rome like, I just want to say one thing. Yo, Adrian! I did it! From then on, despite initially being skeptical of each other, Adrian and Charlemagne grew incredibly close with only a few hiccups. In fact, as we'll hear at the end of this episode, on the Pope's epitaph, Charlemagne went so far as to refer to Adrian as a father to him. After successfully overpowering the Lombards in any case, Charlemagne spent Easter of 774 in Rome, much to the surprise and joy of Adrian. Pope bestowed upon king all the honors of royalty upon his entrance into Rome, and the king returned the honor by kissing each of the steps up to St. Peter's Basilica, the entrance of which the pope was waiting. At some point, the pope even baptized at least one of Charlemagne's children himself, renaming the youngster by replacing his given name of Carloman, the name of the king's Lombard sympathizing brother, to Pepin, naming the boy after his grandfather. Charlemagne would reconfirm the so-called donation of Pepin, a land contract which would make up the papal patrimony for centuries hence. Their mutual friendship was a wild success. Our age, to put briefly, could take a few notes from this remarkable example of state working amicably with church to further the common good. Of course, it wasn't perfect. But Adrian's other notable action during his lengthy papacy was on the spiritual side of things, working with the Eastern Empress Irene to stamp out the church's first of two bouts with the iconoclast heresy, the belief promulgated mainly in the East that the veneration of images, statues, pictures, icons, etc., as straight-up idolatry. It's thought to have risen up from Muslim influence, actually, given Islam's staunch opposition to the practice. But Adrian and Irene worked together to convene the Second Council of Nicaea in 787, to which Adrian sent legates in his place instead of attending in person. On the 1200th anniversary of the council in 1987, St. John Paul II wrote an apostolic letter entitled Duodecimum Seculum, remembering Adrian's efforts, and quotes Adrian as saying, By means of a visible face, our spirit will be carried by a spiritual attraction towards the invisible majesty of the divinity, through the contemplation of the image where it is represented the flesh that the Son of God deigned to take for our salvation. May we thus adore and praise him together while glorifying in spirit the same Redeemer. For as it is written, God is spirit. 
and that is why we spiritually adore his divinity, end quote. Through the council, Adrian reaffirmed the constant teaching of the church that sacred images helped to lift the heart to God and aren't, in fact, idols. So Adrian reigned a total of 23 years, 10 months, and 25 days by the time of his death on Christmas Day, 795. Up to that point in history, his was the longest papacy aside from that of St. Peter's, and he would hold that honor for a thousand more years when Pius VI reigned for 24 years. He's now fifth on the list, so of course not counting St. Peter, behind that and another Pius, as well as Leo XIII and John Paul II. When Adrian died, Charlemagne's biographer Einhard wrote that the king, quote, cried as if he had lost a brother or a child. Charlemagne decided to honor his old friend by commissioning an epitaph etched in rare black marble that he had shipped in from halfway across Europe. It's still preserved to this day in the portico of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Historians call it the most outstanding example of Carolingian epigraphy. Carolingians being the line of kings that Charlemagne, Pepin, and Charles Martel were a part of. And to close out this week, here's the epitaph in full. I searched the internet for like an hour trying to find the English translation of this. You can find the Latin translation all over the place. Pictures of the black marble, but the English translation was finally able to find. It was translated from the Latin by J.I. Mombert in 1888 and likely written by the great poet and literary scholar of Charlemagne's court, Alcuin of York. So here's the epitaph text. Here sleeps the famous chief, an ornament of Rome the father of the church, Pope Adrian the Blessed, whom God gave life, the law his virtue, glory Christ, an apostolic father to goodness always prompt, of grand ancestral line a noble scion he, more noble than they all, through holiness became, a faithful pastor with untiring zeal who strove the temples of his God in beauty to array, the church with choicest gifts, with sacred love, the flock, imbued, and unto all the way beyond the stars he traced. His bounty blessed the poor, his goodness passed by none. In ceaseless vigils for the flock his prayers arose. With learning, wealth, and walls thy battlements he reared. Thrice honored Rome, chief city through the world renowned. Grim death by that of Christ redeemed could hurt him not, and prove to him but gateway to the better life. O Father, thee be weeping, I, Charles, these lines have writ. For thee, sweet love and father mine, with sorrow bowed, remember me, whose mind forever follows thee, when thou with Christ the blissful realms above shalt sway, the clergy, all the church, in love did thee enshrine. O best of pontiffs, who to all was their love. Illustrious man, our names and titles now I join. I, Adrian, and Charles the King, the pontiff thou. Kind reader of these lines, with loving heart for both, in prayer engage, and gently miserere say, This tomb, O dearest friend, thine earthly frame doth hold, the while thy happy soul with saints of God delights. Until the final trump within thy ears shall sound. Awake, with princely Peter rise thy God to see. When sure, I know, the judge with loving voice will call. Into thy Lord's surpassing joy now enter thou. Then best of fathers all, thy son bear thou in mind. 
a son should join his father, say, and this is mine. To Christ's celestial realms, blessed Father, lead the way. With intercessions thence, thine orphaned flock to aid. The while his fiery locks, the sun resplendent shakes. Thy praises, Holy Father, throughout the world shall sound. Yeah, read that three times and tell me you don't get goosebumps. Beautiful. So you can see the Latin in the black marble in the portico of St. Peter's in Rome, whenever you take a pilgrimage there. So that's it for our bio on the good Pope Adrian. As mentioned in the last episode, we've got another question from John, one of our patrons, so I'll quickly answer that here before we wrap things up. John asked, has a filial correction led to changes or developments in the past? I'm curious as to the historical precedent for this. I wasn't familiar with this process until the news of the dubia was circulating and that this hadn't taken place since the year 1333. So what John's referring to is the what's called the dubia. So for those who follow the church for the last, uh, I guess, almost two and a half years now, uh, dubia is just kind of shorthand for a series of five questions that four cardinals submitted to the Pope for clarification on the Pope's 2016 document, Amoris Laetitia, uh, specifically, I believe, about a specific footnote in chapter eight that had to do with divorce and remarriage. So there's five questions in total. You can look those up and find the full text online if you'd like. But the word dubia itself really just comes from the Latin root for dubious or doubt. Um, or dubious and dubia have the same root word uh, meaning doubt in Latin, right? And really the tradition of priests or bishops or groups of bishops submitting quote-unquote dubia or dubium in the case of a single question is pretty uh, common in the church and is meant to garner a single one-word yes or no answer. So uh, one example. So uh, there was a dubium sent to the uh, Pontifical Council for Legislative Text, meaning the, the governing law of the church. So are already married candidates for the permanent diaconate and therefore their wives obliged to practice, quote, per- perfect and perpetual continence after ordination? The answer was no. So are essentially deacons and their wives still allowed to have marital relations? Was a dubia just to clarify a teaching that was uh, more or less on the books, but wasn't as clear as maybe it could have been. So as John asked, that actually would be a good example of how a filial correction uh, has led to changes or development in the past. So just kind of a clarification on a, on a given issue, right? Now, in terms of this particular dubia where the, the cardinals, uh, all very good cardinals, two of them now have gone on to their eternal reward um, since submitting these to the Pope. I uh, think probably the Pope should answer those, uh, but I am more concerned with kind of the attitude of certain uh, sections of the church um, kind of demanding an answer from the Pope. And that, to me, strikes me as um, a little audacious on the part of people who aren't the Pope, right? So just kind of as God is God and and we are not, um, the Pope is the Pope and we are not, too, is kind of how I tend to think of this. Again, don't write me letters. Well, actually, feel free to write me letters because I love hearing from listeners. But uh, I think that the Pope probably should answer that because more clarity is always good. But at the same time, the Pope has lots of things to uh, think about in the church, and we do have the 2,000-year tradition of the church, which I think rightfully has been pointed to as an example of what the true teaching of the church is, kind of similar to when people are demanding John Paul II in 1994 say, can we ordain women or can we not? He's like, we've already been saying this for 1,900 years, and I have no authority to change that, so please stop asking. People still ask, right? Uh, It's still an issue somehow, but I think in terms of divorce and remarriage, yes, there have been confusing statements from the Pope and I am at just as much of a loss as everybody else, but I know that the church is divine in its origins and will be protected uh, from the netherworld prevailing against it, um, and I prefer to put my faith in that. So I hope that's a help. John, I know that there's not really 
maybe such a thing as a satisfactory answer to a question like this, but um, I hope that's a help. Well, that's it for this week. So as always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you haven't already at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, Actually, we do have one new review this week. Our latest review comes from NJ Nichols. Five stars. For someone who is new to the church, this podcast has provided excellent bite-sized insights into some of the men who have helped shape and influence the faith I now call home. Thank you. Thank you, NJ. That's an awesome review. We really appreciate it. Um, Hope you're loving the show. Continue to love the show. Uh, please tell your friends. Again, if you're a new listener, old listener, um, also if you're enjoying the podcast and want to ensure that we can keep churning these out or just want to kind of join the community, start following us um, at a place where you can interact with other listeners, visit patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. So that's Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L. For a buck or two an episode, you can get early access to each podcast episode. Patrons get it a day earlier than everybody else plus access to other sweet patron-only benefits. That's patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. And then lastly, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Popecast. But other than that, that's it for this week. We pray for the soul of Adrian the First, since he is not a saint, but maybe someday we hope so. Uh, we pray for his soul and all of those faithfully departed popes. So until next time.